Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens. I'm sitting behind the broadcast desk in the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse studio. And sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and even those who are in Radio Land. Yes, it's good to have each of you listening. And let me encourage you to invite others to listen. I don't know when the last time was that you invited someone to tune in to That's Truth for 90 minutes on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on Tuesday evening. Send a WhatsApp message, call someone, send someone an email. Now, we have been discussing for the last two weeks, this will be our third week on the topic of extramarital affairs, and we've had a lot of good interaction, very Heartfelt, good questions, Pastor. And I was doing some studying this afternoon, and I came across a statistic. And this was a study that was done in the secular world. But it just, it almost made me nauseous to think of this statistic. Pastor, did you know that 74% of men surveyed said that if they knew for sure that they would not get caught, they would go ahead and have an affair? Mm-hmm. 74%. That's that's shocking, but it gives you an indication um, that uh, when people go into marriage, they are not going into the sense of complete dedication and exclusivity. Uh, they, you know, want to take a risk and take a chance. The other factor I think well, Nathan relates to is the, I think this is the avalanche of pornography that is hit the airwaves. Uh, men are finding it. Um, they're being turbocharged by being overexposed to this this kind of uh, porn, and they don't seem to be satisfied with one partner. They seem to want multiple affairs. So it, it's, a, it's a real frightening statistic, and it just gives you an indication of the moral state of our country. What I would like to know is um, to see a similar uh, stat, if it was done, surveyed among Christian churches or Christian people to see exactly how it differs. That would be an interesting statistic as well. Yeah, and the flip side of that was that 68% of women said that they would have an affair if they knew for sure that their husband would not find out. That surprised me also. Yeah, well, that is even more surprising than than, uh, the first one because, generally speaking, men are the ones that take the initiative when it comes to affairs. But it's becoming, um, through studies, that the gap between men who are taking initiative and women, that gap, gap is almost being bridged now so that women have come to that same level of infidelity as men. And that augurs, uh, that, that speaks really the, the, to the real deep moral problem that we have. It used to be a male problem, basically, substantially, but now the male problem has become 
similar a female problem. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with um, porn because not only men watch porn, which might be a mm-hmm. shocker, women also watch porn. I think that is having a very negative effect in the long term upon society. And I think we're just reaping the whirlwind. We're sown to the wind and we've been the whirlwind. And I just think that those statistics are going to grow and get worse and worse. As you mentioned, that both men and women are prevalently watching pornography. It took me back to a discussion that I recently heard. Pastor, is it okay for a husband and wife to watch pornography together in order to add spice to their marriage? I've had people who have argued that point with me. Um, but I would say to any person who is having a problem uh, with a sexually dysfunctional or, or whatever, the and this might sound crude to say this, but the biggest sex organ is the brain. And I think that um, concentrate on changing your mind and your attitude towards your partner. You don't have to look on another woman's body in order to be stimulated about your wife's body um, or, or her desire, uh, your desires for her. So I think it's more working on your mind and transforming your mind and focusing on your wife than trying to look on some other person. And chances are, if you're watching porn, it's very unlikely that your partner has got the statistics, the physical statistics of that person. So it just creates more dissatisfaction. I would not advocate it. I think that the Bible says if you look on a woman and lust after her, and clearly if a person is watching that, it's creating lust and desires, and that is wrong. That's biblically wrong. And that, that is never a method of therapy that would be recommended by any Christian counselor. Uh, so I think that is biblically and scripturally wrong. Christ himself, uh, he said very clearly, that, and, and then you go back to the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, a, a woman's body is to be modestly addressed. You're not supposed to expose her body. So if you're watching porn, clearly it's nakedness, uh, it's depravity. And I don't see how any Christian counselor could ever advocate uh, for a couple who's having uh, dysfunction within the marriage in respect to sexual activity that they watch a video in order to stimulate the, the interest. You're creating one sin, uh, and that one's, that, that you augmented the situation by creating more sin, which makes it even worse and wrong. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Do you have a question? Maybe you have a suggested topic that you would like us to cover? We are more than open to your suggestions. Maybe you have a question not about this specific topic that we're talking about tonight, but another topic. You can call and be put live on the air, one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. 462 Yeah, but I want to inject something else here because I was just uh, this week talking to about a situation. And it, it staggers me to discover that uh, there was a time when the problem was that men felt they were not getting enough sexual activity within the marriage. Now that is becoming reverse. Uh, the women are now crying out that the men are not meeting their needs. And this again has led to women pursuing affairs. The reason for that again is that men are using pornography as a surrogate, as they're enjoying sex vicariously. So their interest in the wife is waning while their interest in pornography is growing. And there are men that spend hours watching porn. And then when they watch porn, they don't have the same interest in their in their partner because it's, it, one is complete exaggeration, one mm-hmm. is fake, one is uh, making this thing look as though it's, it's heaven itself, basically, but it's all fabricated. A wife can't compete with that. 
So he finds, uh, she finds that somehow he's not interested in me anymore. The problem is he's more interested in pornography. And that is a frightening statistic because it used to be the men complaining, now it's the women complaining. And there are many marriages in, the, in that kind of a situation. Uh, and one would have thought that the problem is the male, not right now, uh, was a woman not yielding. Now it's the problem the women are, are saying that this is, you know, and, and uh, it's, we have serious problems when it comes to marriages and, and trying to resolve these problems. And hopefully men will wake up sooner than later and try to address these issues rather than bury their heads in the sand and pretend it's not there. Uh, otherwise, marriages will be broken up and fractured. I've heard you say that the family is the key building block of society. Is it possible, Pastor, to have a strong family without having a strong marriage? I don't know how you can have a strong family without having a strong marriage. As a matter of fact, uh, I just spoke on Father's Day. But if you want a good father, you gotta you got to uh, be a good lover of the, f- the children's mom because your relationship with your children is affected by your relationship with, with, with their mom or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So a person can't be a good father or a good mother if the relationship, I mean, you can have a good relationship with your, your son per se, but if you don't have a good relationship with, with, his, with his mom or she doesn't have a good relationship with the father, she's a, the children would never see it as a, 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 good, a good family and a good, good home. So you must have a, um, you just can't work on the, your partner's side or on the children's side, it's a, it's a, it's a um, all interrelated. And you have to work on both areas. At the end of the program last week, we had a caller, but right before that caller, you were discussing the three R's of infidelity. Yeah, let me let me just um, we highlight some things we said last time when it got interrupted. I mentioned that this concept of the three R's of infidelity comes from a guy called Dr. Carl Fred uh, Brockneck. Um, his interaction with couples and counseling couples, he's been able to discover that there are three basic things that happen uh, in infidelity. Uh, I mentioned last time, and I think we, we dealt with the matter of resentment. There's always some element of resentment, either in the wife's part or the husband's part, but there's some need that is not being met, and that causes anger and frustration and resentment. It might be the partner's insensitive. It could be that uh, excessive demands are made in an area where the partner feels that it's not justified. could be a matter of neglect, uh, lack of communication, rejection. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, most infidelity starts with some kind of resentment on one of the partners. It doesn't mean that both feel the same way, but one feels terrible resentment towards the others. The other thing that after that resentment comes in is the act of rationalization because you don't have to rationalize yourself into infidelity. Uh, you know that it is wrong, you're married, you've made your covenant, you've made your vows, you know that your commitment to God requires that you be loyal to your partner. Uh, but now you've got all this resentment, uh, you feel that that's the basis that you could now rationalize to go into some kind of a fear. Um, some people rationalize, I mentioned that they have an idea that, you know, I, I, can, um, I can flirt it's fun to flirt, but there's nothing really into flirting, uh, not realizing that it can lead to something even further, so you need to avoid that. And then I mentioned that one of the things that happened that when people are having a resentment towards the partner, uh, somewhere along the line, um, they begin to uh, download that to somebody, and that person, out of concern uh, for the individual, sympathy or tenderness, uh, or um, compassion, they begin to connect with this person, and it becomes very obvious after a period of time that there is some chemistry going on between the two people. 
uh, and then they rationalize now that because of the resentment that they can proceed further and they're now justified in going into the fear using the resentment as a basis. But the rationalizing process must be there in order for a person to, to proceed from being resentful to going to the fear. You have to rationalize why you're doing what you're doing. I started saying last time when we were interrupted that you need to ask yourself certain questions when you begin to help people uh, out of sympathy or concern or compassion. Um, if you find that you are dealing with a person and you're beginning to get attached to the person, you're getting to get emotionally attached to the person, uh, there are certain things that you can do. Uh, first of all, you ask yourself, am I attracted to this person? Uh, does this person make me feel like uh, giving warmth uh, and love uh, do I wish that I can compensate this person for all the deprivation and hurt that they're suffering? Uh, do I feel like can, I can meet their needs in a legitimate way? So, I, I, you know, and then uh, do I feel that uh, in order to help this person, I need to spend a lot of time uh, with this individual? Uh, remember, you're rationalizing now. You, you resentment. Uh, you somebody come into your life now, either they're downloaded or you've downloaded, you're, you're having this ongoing um, private relationship, it's not an affairs yet, and then you are rationalizing as you get closer and closer and closer, uh, you, you're now using the resentment as a basis for really going further into relationship. Um, the other thing that you could ask is, do I find myself relating my own problems to this person now. She comes with her problems, he comes with his problems, he shares his problems. Now I begin to share my own problems. So you got misery, and misery loves company. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, both of you now begin to rationalize. You know, you're unhappy, I'm unhappy, let's find happiness. You gotta understand what's going on in the mind, and once you begin to have that happening, that she is sharing her family problems, and you are sharing yours, you are actually headed to a catastrophe. You've got to but it's so refreshing to talk to someone who understands the frustrations, Pastor. I don't mind uh, when a person uh, does that, but again, you have to be very careful. As soon as you find that you're getting emotionally involved with whoever the person is, whether it be a counselor, a friend, uh, a colleague at work, and it is very, very clear that you're getting emotionally attached to this person. There are red lights going on and say, this is not the person to do the counseling. It's not the person you turn to. Find somebody who is very objective, somebody who um, you're going to be counseling, not in a private situation. When I mean private, counseling should always be private, but not in a, a place where only you and that person are alone. Um, I would not advise any counselor to be counseling any people along marital problems uh, if, you do it, you, uh, if you're counseling the couple, yes. But if you're co co counseling the person individual, a lady individual, you're male. You should either have your secretary on the compound, your wife on the compound, but somebody in the office that is nearby, you don't want to be in a situation behind a closed door and nobody knows you're there. You are setting up yourself for downfall. And no pastor is wise who would take that kind of approach. Uh, the Bible says, take, uh, let him think of his standards, take lead, he fall. And we got to realize that better people than us have fallen, and we never put ourselves in that situation. Um, the other thing is that would come into uh, play uh, is, uh, do I find myself thinking about this person apart from the counseling session? It, clearly, who is on the screen of your mind now during the day? Uh, is it your husband? Is it your children? Or is on the screen of your mind is this person all the time? If that is happening, 
you are really digging yourself deeper into a hole and you need to put some stop to what is happening. Otherwise, it's going to lead to some kind of infidelity. And then, um, um, do I find now that when we meet, I have a tendency to touch? Uh, maybe touch on her shoulder, or when I shake her hand or shake his hand, I prolong that shaking of the hand, etc., etc. Do I come in through the door and I deliberately bounce her or, or whatever? These things might seem small, but what is the what is the language that you're saying there? Uh, watch those things very carefully. The other thing is, um, does my spouse know where I am? If I'm dealing or counseling this person or trying to help this person, do they know where I am and are there for me doing this? So let your partner, if you're counseling somebody who's having problems, um, don't be doing it without your, your partner knowing to find out if they support what you're doing. And then if they're aware of it, do they approve it or do they disapprove it? And then the other thing would be, why are we not helping this person together as a couple? Mm. See, that would be the best thing to do. But again, remember, you've got resentment, and you're trying to rationalize yourself now, and you're finding a reason for really going in this depth. So it's always rationalization. And then the third thing that goes into this, the three R's, is something called a rendezvous. This is where now uh, this continued contact and this continued dealing with this person uh, whether it be you're working together so you talk all the time or you're helping, uh, you know, whatever the situation is. Uh, the question is, are you setting a pattern of mutually meeting together uh, somewhere? Uh, we talked about last time about um, going to lunch at the same time, taking a coffee break at the same time. It could be taking a ride in the car, going by the, the, uh, the beach at evening, just sitting down and talking and downloading. There has to be a rendezvous. You can have resentment and you can rationalize, but there has to be a way and a place that you can actually commit the act of infidelity. So the rendezvous is meeting somewhere that uh, eventually will lead. It could be the car, it could be a, a night uh, at the beach, it could be staying at work late and then telling your, your husband or your partner, I have to work late. That's not really true. You don't have to work late, but something is going on. You want to be alone. Nobody commits infidelity except they're alone somewhere in a private place. So you've got to avoid it. And when you find yourself meeting alone, mark it down. That's what is meant by rendezvous. I rationalize now, but the next step I need to take is to be able to take her to bed or take her to wherever it is. So I've got to have a place that we decide to meet. And uh, so that's what's meant by the, the matter of uh, the three R's. Normally starts with resentment of something going in the marriage. That resentment is used to rationalize why I should be talking to somebody or trying whatever it is. And then uh, after I rationalize and I've been proceeding for a long time, I now have to come up with some kind of a rendezvous. How can, I, how can we get together somewhere privately? And once you reach that stage when you're meeting privately, it's just a matter of uh, time before you go all the way with that individual. Now, last time you referenced some different types of infidelity, and I came across a statistic today said that approximately 60% of adults say that they would consider it cheating if their partner entered into an emotional relationship with someone else. That's in the secular world. 60% said if you're emotionally attached to someone else then and I'm married to you, you're having an affair. 
Can you remind me what the the different types of infidelity are? Well, we mentioned that uh, guy, Dr. Dave Carter. Uh, he wrote a book called Torn Asunder, How to Recover from Extramarital Affairs, and he has put um, infidelity and these affairs under three headings. He talks about a class one affair, and a class one affair is a one-night stand. It's a fling, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a man, um, you know, one of the street women or a prostitute or something, or maybe there's a woman in the office who's always pushing herself on him, and he just decides, okay, I'm uh, just going to have a fling with you. It means nothing. Uh, the other uh, class of fear is the class two affair. This is where people are entangled in a kind of a courtship, and it's the most common and also one of the most difficult um, forms of affairs to actually rehabilitate because the length of time that is spent developing the relationship and the extent of the emotional involvement between the two. This is what we call a classic affair. Uh, so that is class two. This is the most uh, difficult one. And then the third one is cl- class three. is called affairs where the partner is really a sexual addict. And they are involved with multiple partners uh, for over a period of time. They have a compulsive sexual activity. And they don't have any emotional attachment even to their partner, per se. Uh, but it's a, a self-perpetuating cycle where uh, the person has become turbocharged and is really an addict, sexual, sexual addict. Uh, and a lot of times this is linked to the, the uh, pornography. Uh, this person, by the way, is the most difficult to really deal with because it is so ingrained in the psyche in practice for so long uh, he's generally speaking he's a porn addict before he becomes a sex addict and it needs a lot a lot a lot his whole mindset has to be rebuilt uh, and uh, but where uh, the mind has to be transformed and there's still biblical hope for anybody in any situation. There's no sin that's not able to be forgiven except the unpardonable sin. So clearly there can be restoration even though a person's gone, but it's more difficult and you need to work harder and, and you need to come up with methods to try to reshape the mind and rebuild the mind. But those are the three basic forms of um, inf- infidelity. The class one, the one night stand, the class two, which has to do with a lot of emotional involvement and partnership, and the class three, where the person is really uh, an addict sexually and uh, um, just in mad pursuit and just not satisfied with one partner. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening. The time is 7.53. If you have a question or you want to call and be put live on the air, you can call 268-462-7420. If you'd rather not call, but you still have a question or maybe a suggested topic, you can send your question via WhatsApp or text message to 1-268-782-1454. And I realize there may be some questions that you want to ask anonymously and so we will not uh be saying the location or even the the country which the question is coming from tonight uh for to give you some freedom to ask the question that you may have uh pastor murphy uh what are some wrong responses to infidelity uh you shared early on that 
infidelity is a lot more common than expected that maybe even as much as was it 50 or 60 percent of marriages will be affected by affairs so we know it's going to happen unfortunately but what are some things that we should not do when responding well one of the uh, things that is very very common is that the person who has been offended the faithful partner when the person really learns about the infidelity uh, there's a tendency to be railing and denouncing the guilty party and shouting at them and uh, intensely repeating and very vociferous uh, about condemning them. The anger is natural. You can't in any way um, we understand that the anger is natural. But if it continues on and on and on and there's no offer of a positive overtones, um, you only confirm the person in perpetuating the act because when you're coming home to quarreling all the time, there comes a point where you will say you're not going to come home. Mm. Uh, it's better to stay out than to come home. So how does that help the situation? The person's already been unfaithful. Uh, you found out. But you don't encourage them to come home because every time they come home, you're just sh- having this massive quarrel all the time. So are you S- saying that you shouldn't be gruff with them? No, I am saying that you ought to be able to express your anger. But what I'm saying, there comes a point where you have to control your anger. And you have to give the person hope. If you don't give a person hope that there's a possible restoration, and you're always lambasting them in terms of the loudness, and you're, you're, you're cussing them out in front of the children, and so on and so forth, uh, it's very, very hard. It's not only humiliating to be discovered, by the way, and I mean uh, a man's pride, as I don't have to say, it's his main problem, is ego. And then for the children to overhear this, and it's very clear that something is going wrong, and then when they ask mommy, mommy tells them, and then the children get angry at daddy as well, because most cases, no kid wants to know that their father or their mother's living with somebody else. But what I'm saying to you is that the constant railing and denouncing, um, you have to come to a point where you realize that, you know, okay, I've expressed my anger, he knows I'm angry. But I can't keep every time he comes in, I, I lambase, and every time it comes up, I'm shouting. And, and you know, we, we Caribbean people have a tendency to, when we talk, it sounds like we're fighting. That can actually lead to the person not really wanting to come home. and might even find comfort with the infidel that they're involved in again. So you, that's the first thing I'd like to say. Try to control your anger. Uh, you have a right to express it. But the Bible says, um, be angry and sin not. So there's an extent where anger leads to sin. Uh, and the other thing is telling as many people as possible. You tell the family, you tell people at his work, uh, you tell the children. Um, and all you're doing when you do that is creating further alienation, further humiliation, further embarrassment. And that now uh, creates great resentment now on his part. He's done wrong. He makes he's done wrong. But now you are really complicating the problem by spreading it all over the place. And may I say to people who have a tendency to share too much private family information, your friend today is your enemy tomorrow. Hmm. And many, many times the thing that you share with your friend, even though you've been able to, to rebuild whatever is there, next time you hear it on the streets or your partner hears it on the street. So keep it as close as possible. And don't be tempted to just share any and everything with uh, people just to embarrass him because you want to belittle him because he's the, the one at fault. We recognize he's at fault or she's at fault, but you have to be very careful not to spread this thing too wide. Uh, try to deal with it as uh, in a narrow area as possible. You know, our Lord in Matthew 18 tells us how to deal with these things, doesn't he? He said you go to the person, one on one. you bring one and one, if one and one, then two or three, 
and then of course you widen it. We widen it before we come to one and one or two and three, and by then everything is, is don't want to talk anymore because um, I did wrong, but you didn't have to, to exacerbate the problem by doing that. So it complicates the matter when this thing is spread. The other thing that um, they do is asking the closest friend or the pastor to go and straighten him out or straighten her out. <laughs> um, you sound the, like you've had that request <laughs> made of, of you of before. Of course, of course. Rather than uh, uh, pastor, we need help. We. Mm-hmm. Okay. Straighten us out or help us. Everything because s- seldom is an affair exclusively the fault of one person. Seldom. We are all involved in this mess. Some we just are very neglectful. Something we're doing that we're not, uh, you know, to help it. We're not excusing the infidel now because it's a choice he made. But we must always be asking: Did we make any contribution to this matter? Uh, and who needs help? He needs help, but we need help as a family. Uh, so when he learns that he, she, just, or he just he wants to straighten her out, or she wants to straighten him out, a lot of cases there it's a two-way thing. It's been problems been going on for a while between the two of them. So it's not I alone need to be straightened out. We need to be straightened out. But the language that is used could make him very defensive or her very defensive. That's why we talk about I and we, not you. You avoid the you thing that you do this. Is uh, we'll come to that uh, at some point in time. The language that you got to be very careful with. And then uh, another mistake that is made. Now he's um, involved with somebody else. What I do now, I increase my sexual activity with him, hoping that this will decrease his going to the person on the outside. See, um, That is dangerous. Number one, if you're aware there's infidelity going on, my counsel to you is to get him checked before you have sex with him. I don't know if people understand how serious the AIDS problem is. Anytime a man seeks with a woman... Chances are, and he's married, chances are that woman has slept with many other people because when a woman sleeps with a married man, it means that she really doesn't have much dignity about herself, to be honest with you. And every woman that that man slept with, he is sleeping with every man that ever slept with that woman. Wow. So I'm saying, oh, whatever she got from, she had nine men and they got nine different things and he slept with her. He's actually sleeping with all nine of those situations. So to bring that now into the home, and for the sake of, uh, well, you know, I must now uh, meet his, whatever he's saying now, without getting some kind of check, I say that that wife or that husband is playing Russian ruler with their life. As long as they're infidelity, my counsel to anybody is, listen, you need to get a check before you begin to have relationships sexually again with your husband or some form of protection. But I'm not endorsing this idea that you you know to, you just up up the ante because uh, he's with an affair, and you're trying to save the marriage, but you might you might destroy your life. You want to be wrong for your children as well, so I think we need to be very careful about that. Um, uh, the other thing is that he may go and find that the other woman uh, just to see. Um, what this woman looks like. I'm talking about, you know, the wife. Well, I want to see what she looks like. Sometimes she goes to the woman's workplace, and uh, sometimes she has a 
severe, almost verbal fight, if not physical fight, uh, that goes on there. And that is embarrassing to the, per- the husband now or whoever who learns that, you know. Uh, that is never the way to go to go and create a, a fight with the person who is um, c- involved with your husband. Your husband is the one that made the decision your wife has made. It's a choice that's made, but that's not the place to go down. Well, I'm going to embarrass her. I'm going to plead with her to leave my husband alone <laughs> <laughs> or, my, or my, my wife alone, right? Uh, that doesn't help the situation. That really does. It, it creates further embarrassment, further shame. Uh, further loss of, of, of face and that builds up anger and resentment even on the guilty person's part and then um, the other thing that they do is they begin to can- a campaign at home to make the, the, the guilty person uh, suffer uh, um, sometimes they no longer do the breakfast no longer cook Sometimes how they answer the questions. Uh, in other words, it becomes very clear to everybody in the house that mom or dad is making the other person suffer because of what is going on. Uh, that doesn't help the situation as well. I mean, that just compounds the situation again and again. Uh, so those are six of the very common ways that uh, people who are the faithful partner that remains within the relationship, uh, they try to vindicate their anger by doing what they think would um, get them some sense of pleasure and get him back at him. Uh, I, I'm trying to push him into you know changing or whatever. But in the long term, this kind of approach actually drives the person more and more away. Just put yourself in that situation, not excusing infidelity, not excusing unfaithfulness. But if my partner is not giving me any semblance of hope whatsoever, and I've, you know, I've admitted, uh, I, I've apologized, whatever I've done, uh, I, I want to heal the relationship. I want to know what I need to get done. Uh, I'm not talking about a man now who's out there and he's continuously doing the same. I'm not talking about that. So um, even facing this infidelity, the response of the partner who is the faithful partner uh, could either help the process of healing or it could further damage and create a greater rift it has to do with the response uh, to this matter you may be listening tonight and say well thank the lord my marriage has never gone through an affair and i hope and pray that it stays that way for your sake but in case you ever do find out one day that your partner has had an affair i trust that some of those six principles will come back to your mind and that you will Recall uh, some of those principles and keep from damaging your relationship further than it has to be. Again, only about 15%, at least in the case of the study I have in front of me, only about 15% of marriages break up because of infidelity. So there is hope for a relationship that has been broken because of an extramarital affair. But obviously, Pastor, our goal and our hope would be to stop that affair before it ever starts. What are some ways that couples can prevent extramarital affairs from happening? Okay, let me just make one little comment on what you just said. You know, that is a uh, um, amazing statistic. Um, and that's, this doesn't only relate to Christians, the 15% you're talking about. Yeah, that's secular. That's why I said uh, to, to people that there's so much hope. Now, if the unsafe people can bring about healing after an affair, 
who know nothing about forgiveness and pardon and the grace of God. Uh, why then do uh, Christians don't understand that an affair doesn't have to end a marriage? Uh, I think it's a motivation to give people hope that secular people can deal with that. We should be able to deal with it much better than they can. We have resources that the world doesn't have. And uh, we have a God in heaven. We have a Christ who is interceding for us. We have a Holy Spirit in us as a believer. We have the Word of God. We have the Christian church. Uh, we have um, um, good Christian counselors. Um, you know, we have the Word of God to guide us. Uh, the unsaved man, I mean, I just mentioned five resources that the unsaved man has no access to. But yet, only 15% of his marriages uh, break up in affairs. How then that Christians don't believe that this possibly for healing? Uh, so I think that that should give some measure of hope to those who are uh, believers. But in terms of preventing um, extramarital affairs, to my mind, for a Christian couple, I can't speak in regard to the unsafe person. I suppose that I would recommend the same thing. But I think that a couple uh, needs to fix their, uh, build their relationship with God. I think that's vitally important. I think that's the key to it. Staying in the Word, uh, daily prayer, uh, I think the, your relationship with God, if it remains vibrant, and your partner's relationship with God remains vibrant, chances are you're not going to be led into infidelity. Uh, the anchor, being anchored to Christ and being anchored to God, is a great safeguard, especially even when your, your marriage is faced with a storm. The fact that she's anchored to Christ and you're anchored to Christ, you might be blown apart for a while but you have the same anchor and that pulls you back together so I think uh, fixing uh, your relationship with God and sustaining an intimate relationship there I think is important the other thing I think you need to know yourself uh, what you're capable of and I think all of us uh, should know our limitations uh, if I know that uh, I have a weakness before my pre-conversion days that my weakness was women I ought to be wise enough to know that even though I'm saved, I still have the old man with me. So if my weakness was women, I have to avoid um, being um, with women in places where I'm private. Uh, I just got to be. So I think we ought to just face who we are and, and try to, uh, you know, Paul said, take heed to yourself and to the word. So you've got to look at yourself and know yourself and know what, what, what attracts you, what don't attract you, and put things in place. Um, the other thing is, I think, keep the lines of communication open between you and your spouse. Um, the resentment builds up and the discontent grows uh, because of a lot of unresolved issues that's been raised again and again. And generally, the great fault that men have is that they're not good communicators. I am the first to admit that. Men are great talkers, as I said before, when, you're, when they're dating, they, they talk of a storm. The wife is attracted a lot of times because he spends time listening to me, and we can talk, etc. Then he gets married, and he becomes a changed man. Instead of an communicator now, he's, like he's, a, he's become mute, and she can't figure that one out. Uh, and I think that men don't realize that she is so shocked by that, uh, and she brings up things and raises things, but you never want to talk. You always got something to do, and that builds up resentment. So I think one of the key things here is to keep the line of communication between your, your, your wife and yourself. I think that is vitally important to uh, prevent um, any kind of extramarital affairs. Then, number three, make your, your marriage a, relationship a priority. 
Uh, we can easily get caught up in the demands of daily life. Uh, but if possible, set aside a daily time where you can talk, even if it's 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, that If she's working, you don't know what she's faced at work. She's got to come back and do all the housework, et cetera, et cetera. Agree to a time, look, we're going to spend 20 minutes, and I'm just going to listen to you. You just download. Sit in the couch, whatever, rubber feet, whatever you do. But she just download everything that's on her mind, and you're not going to interrupt. You're just going to listen and uh, affirm her, affirm whatever it is. Uh, you got to do something, and that may be one of the solutions that you just agree to a 15, 20-minute stint every day uh, as you come home and you just sit and talk. Okay, hun, tell me what went on this day. And then you share, except get that out of the way rather than these things piled up. Uh, we men have a tendency, to, we are procrastinators. We intend to deal with the problem. And uh, she'll come, and we say, well, we'll deal with it uh, tomorrow. And then something, we'll deal with it uh, tomorrow. Before you know it, two months have gone by, the same problem not solved. And then another problem comes up now. But this one has brought up as a new problem, so I'll deal with that tomorrow. You haven't dealt with the first one yet. Before you know it, ten problems. Six months, nothing dealt with. And she's wondering, wait a minute. This is not the guy that used to listen to everything I said, every word I said. She, he would hang on to it. <laughs> Things have changed. So I think it's important to make your um, relationship a priority. Um, discuss your feelings and your concerns with your partner. Um, and I would suggest that watch your language when you're talking to your partner. Um, t- never say, uh, you don't meet my needs. It's better to say, I, I don't feel as though my needs are being met. It's a difference. The you there is sounds so threatening. It's every time you, you tell me, you, it's, I'm defensive already. So you've got to be very, very, very careful. Uh, so avoid using words like always. All, oh yes, those are other words. Yeah, you, 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 never, you, never, you never listen to me. You always do this. That's not true. Uh, you know. But I think the, the you, you thing, all of it's come from my angle. I, I, feel, I don't feel love. Not that you, you're not giving me the love I need. I don't feel love. Right? I'm putting the onus back on me now. So, so I think you've got to be very careful when you're talking to your partner to use the, the wording is so important. Uh, those you statements you've got to be very careful about. And then uh, because affairs are so common, I would recommend that you guys try to establish how do we affair-proof our marriage and come up with some guidelines because... Uh, I mean, you might be that we'll never, never, we promise each other that we'll never um, counsel somebody or talk to somebody. And once we feel that we're getting attached, that we'll draw that to the other partner's attention. Or that we will never be alone with a person of the opposite sex. Isn't that so old-fashioned, though, Pastor? What is old-fashioned or not is common sense. And we ought not to allow people because they use some um, jargon uh, or some uh, hackneyed expression that's old-fashioned to stop us from doing what is right and what's the appropriate thing to do. Uh, I don't mind being old-fashioned if it's something that's appropriate and works effectively. I'd rather be old-fashioned than be up-to-date and end up in trouble. And that is something that is a, a given. People will never get into a sexual relationship unless they're alone somewhere. Nobody is going to have in a park where everybody can see them or in a church where everybody can see them. You have to have a rendezvous place. And if you can agree that we will not have, uh, not sit in a car with a person of the opposite sex discussing their problems or whatever it is, 
that is a mutual agreement between uh, you. So set some guidelines between yourself, what you as a couple will never find yourself doing and agree that this is something that you um, do. Or I will never, you will never go to dinner with a person of the opposite sex, uh, except my partner is there or except I get permission to do that or go to lunch with a person. Make those agreements ahead of time so you don't say, well, I didn't know that. I didn't think you'd be offended. And then you've been going five times and then he finds out, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is important. And then make time to have fun doing things together. Um, decide um, to create opportunities to have good times together. I don't know. That might be playing games at home. Uh, that might be taking a walk on the beach. That might be doing a moonlight. That might be just taking a drive. But just enjoy um, because it's at that time that you normally talk. And you don't download. But you have to create. It's not going to happen unless you try to create it. And then the other thing I think is important is try to have a good sex life and a good sense of romance. Try to be imaginative and creative and uh, if you can afford it, a periodic uh, weekend at the, not Sandals, but uh, maybe uh, Jolly Harbor <laughs> or something. And then share your expectations, what you expect from each other, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, what I would say to people, learn to talk uh, during intimacy uh, to find out what is fulfilling and what is not fulfilling and so on and so forth. And if you're not a talker, read books. And one book I would recommend to people who are a couple who are married is read the book by Tim LaHaye, The Act of Marriage. That's a phenomenal book. And there's some things I would like to share on the radio I would not share, but they are really important in terms of um, keeping your, your sexual passion within your marriage. And uh, the, the matter as well of um, maintaining the, the level of stimulus there are things that can be done that women can do, and I, I don't want to get into that, but I would recommend any couple who is married and who is not married, who have not read that book, to read it. It's a fascinating. And there's another book by uh, Dr. I think his name is Wheat, uh, but it's called Intended for Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Wheat, I think that's his name. That's another book that's read. But I recommend Tenley his first and then his. So I think work on having a good sex life. Uh, you're satisfying your partner. Your partner is satisfied. And if you're not satisfied, talk to each other. What can be done to improve that? And I would also say to you that, um, uh, like the husband's birthday or the wife's birthday or anniversary or something, maybe Christmas, if there is an area of you feel that there's a deficiency within your partner and you don't feel it confronting, buy a book that deals with that. Uh, you know, just as a as a gift and say, I want you to read this. Promise you're going to read this. Isn't that a little bit like buying a treadmill for your, <laughs> your partner when you think they need to lose weight? Well, I, I, I suppose so. But nonetheless, uh, sometimes it's difficult for you to be able to express your real feelings. Yeah. And one of the ways that you can do that is to recommend a good book to read, but get the promise from your partner uh, that you really promise, want them to promise you to read it, etc. And then... Um, the other thing is, try to find out the language you're speaking, if it's the language that your wife speaks. Uh, we talk about the five love languages by um, uh, Smiley. Uh, I would recommend that as a book as well. Again, the, he, he, in that book, he talks about five ways that people express love. Uh, he said one way that people feel love is that they f- want to be affirmed. 
she wants to hear I love you. She wants to hear that uh, you're the most special person in the world. She wants to know that, man, you got the figure of a, you know, she, she loves to hear you. That's how she feels love when you s- use language. There are others who feel love by small gifts, you know, chocolate here, uh, uh, a rose here, nothing big, nothing. It's not really, it's, it's, it's not a, a material thing, but the tokens, small tokens, a small letter here, uh, they feel love. And then there are those who like to be touched. They want to be hugged. They want you to slap them on the buttock. They want you to just pinch them, pull their hair. Uh, that is the, that's their language. Uh, and then there are those who like to talk. That's the way. That's the only way they ever feel love. You can you can you can pinch them. You can do everything, but that's their language. The problem is that the person's language and your language is different. And I I, I think that's the problem we're having. I, I the way I feel love is the way I show love. But it's not the way she feels love. So I think I'm showing her love when I'm not even speaking her language. And she's she's puzzled that this, this idiot haven't re- read it yet. <laughs> what is going on, right? So I think it's important to... Uh, and then the other thing I would suggest uh, is to... We don't have any of those here, but I really wish that someday we'll start having couples retreats where that you know you zero in on couple issues you get couples coming together and you get a good a good uh, lecturer that deals with issues and then you know have a good dinner you, you know, it's like a weekend type of a thing um i i don't know that any of that in the caribbean right now but i know in america that many marriages have been saved by just going to a couples retreat uh the things that they learn they just rebuild the whole marriage i think that those are about 10 11 things i just gave that i think would help um with the uh, the marriage, Pastor, I recently heard an individual actually it ended up being a pastor, and he said, "I have never struggled with the temptation to pursue another woman." He said, "I have a wonderful relationship with my wife. I'm I don't ever see myself uh, being tempted in that area." What What's your Reaction to that is that being uh, I, proud? I would I would say that I would I could almost say that's the same way I am. That's the truth. But I mean. isn't that isn't that a level of? Uh, I mean, Paul didn't even trust his own flesh. Yeah, but so, I don't trust my flesh. That's my thing. Even though okay. I feel that way. So, so you're doing the old-fashioned guardrails. Uh, yeah. For example, Nathan, you know, you come to our church and you will notice that the door to the secretary's office has a glass to the front. Anybody from outside can see in. The door to my office, you know, it has a glass again. That's deliberate. That's deliberate. I mean, that wasn't, that was not there when I got there. I put it in because even though I can't conceive it happening, you don't trust the flesh. You just don't trust the flesh. Um, I don't counsel a woman in private unless somebody is there. (laughs) Again, I don't trust the flesh. Right. Uh, if I'm counseling a couple, yes. But if I'm counseling an individual lady, somebody has to be there either in the office or somebody has to be right there in the in the compound area where I am. Because I don't know. I I feel that it's not a problem for me. Right. But I don't know what could happen uh, if some a woman really wanted to tempt me. I don't know. I am not saying I'm Superman. So I don't trust my flesh. I don't put myself in situations where I can be tempted in that area. I don't. Um, I don't drop. Well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, recently, I've, I've done it once or twice. But generally speaking, I don't pick up or drop people uh, alone in my vehicle, especially a female. I just don't do it. 
right? Again, I don't see how in the world I'll be tempted. But again, number one, it doesn't look good for a pastor, uh, especially if he's coming very frequently for the same person and nobody's in the vehicle. And then it depends on when you drop them back as well. You see what I'm saying? And I've known of pastors I've had to uh, almost got into um, verbal uh, fights with uh, who would drop a female late at night and sit in the car outside the person's home and carry on a conversation with me, I mean, 10, 11 o'clock. To my mind, that is insanity. Yeah. You're setting up your rep, you're going to lose your reputation, you're going to lose your, you don't do that, but I've known of people who do, and they don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think there's something deliberately wrong with it. You need to protect yourself, protect your reputation as a pastor, and you don't want anybody um, casting aspersions upon you so that you, you can't minister because uh, word gets out there and it may not be true. But you have created the environment where people can charge you for uh, being unfaithful to your wife or having an affair or something like that. But I don't, I don't trust my flesh. I don't trust my flesh, and I, um, I uh, even if I have a uh, any uh, secretary that we have in the church, quite frankly, um, it's a very. I don't like anybody coming behind me. Uh, I don't want that. Uh, I, I, I'm just very, very protective. I might be old-fashioned, it's worked, and thank God it's worked, but I just can't imagine I allowing the reproach of Christ to come because I've messed up. Think of what that will do to the church. Yeah. Not only to my family, you know, to the church, and not just to the church, to believers that I know all over the place who have ministered to. Think of the impact that would have. I don't know how people can just be so reckless. In it gives the opportunity for the unsaved to mock God. Oh man, it's it breaks my heart to think of, of uh, I being the person responsible for Christianity be blaspheme and like you know the Lord the prophet told David you've called the 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 wicked to blaspheme the name of God. So, but um, I don't think it's I think that is possible from what the gentleman said that is true because I think I'm, I'm a similar character. But again, in spite of feeling that way, and, and oh, the other thing I'd say, uh, that one of the ways that you can help uh, let people know your position is many times in the pulpit you can say things, make statements that will make people clear, hands off, the pastor is not that kind of person, he, yeah. he, he'd, he'd call you out right in front, stuff like that. And that sense, are, are, it might not make sense to what people, when I, when I say certain things, but it's quite deliberate. Uh, not interested in the fear and you know I talk very openly <laughs> so um, that in a sense prevent any s- s- person who might be thinking not that they are uh, but it's quite deliberate that I make those kind of statements but I think pastors in particular can do such ruin to the cause of Christ that they need to be very careful Pastor we've spent almost a cumulative four hours over the last two and a half episodes talking about affairs, the dangers of them, how they get started with emotions and all. I want to spend the rest of this program talking about the positive side of things. How do we get out of this situation? And I think a good place to start with that discussion is how can a couple begin to restore a broken marriage after an affair? Well, I think um, I would just like to say that um, at the onset that to restore feelings and affection and love and emotion uh, that is shattered is is very, very difficult, extremely difficult. Um, I think that the people have to be aware that this is going to take time. 
The problem is the person who has committed the infidelity, he thinks about just walking into the house and admitting that he's committed it, and he confesses he's committed it. He is now expecting his wife just to accept everything he's saying and uh, just say, okay, from tomorrow, we're back to normal. I think this is the gravest mistake that men make. And I think that they have to understand we're going to have to work this thing through and it's going to require tremendous effort on my part and on your part. Um, the, other, the, the other thing I would say is that are the couple willing to reinvest in the marriage? Uh, there has to be a commitment on two people's part. It can't be a one-sided thing. I can't be trained and you're not trained in the process. So if I have been unfaithful to you and I have admitted and confessed whatever it is and I am saying to you, look, I want to rebuild the marriage. I really want to tell me what I need to do and what can I do to do that. Uh, I have to be. I have to feel as though it is worth the effort and you're willing to work with me to help me to rebuild it. Whatever you tell me to do, basically, that is biblical and not unscriptural, I'm prepared to do that. I think that is the kind of openness the, the unfaithful partner has to have. In other words, there can be no conditionalities now on the faithful partner. Uh, for example, one of the biggest things is rebuilding trust. Right? That's the biggest problem once is infidelity. How do I rebuild trust? How can I trust this person again? And what men do not understand is that they are going to have to hold their, uh, themselves accountable to their wives. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, she might say to you, well, look, this has happened. Um, and normally, uh, during the process of healing, uh, you examine how it happened, how the affair started, who the affair was with, and that kind of a thing. Uh, and she might say to you, uh, look, when you go to work, I want you to call me when you get to work. When you leave here, by the time you get to work, you call me to let me know you're at work. When you go to lunch, I want you to call me to let me know when you go to lunch. In other words, it will reach a point where she might say, okay, you don't have to call me for lunch, no, or for, but, but no, call me when you leave work. But that You're seems, saying that she has a right to... She has a right. Okay. She has a right to that because I created the problem. I want to solve the problem. I want her back. I want to win her back. She says to me, look, you want to win me back? I need to rebuild trust, and this is what it's going to take to rebuild trust. And I have to humble myself now uh, and say to her, "Hun, you are so precious to me. I am prepared to do anything that's within reason and within not outside the bounds of Scripture. But I find that men find it very difficult to understand why I should be accountable to my wife now. Why do I have to call her? Right? Because you broke her trust. She thought you were at work all the time. Then she learns that the affair is at work in the first case. Then she learns that it started by you guys going to lunch together. And then she learns that when you're saying that you're at work uh, extra hours, you're out somewhere, you come in at 8 o'clock, you're supposed to come at 4 o'clock, you come in at 7 o'clock. She learns all of that because that's the importance of understanding how it started and what were the dynamics of it because it gives you some insight now to holding that person accountable. Um, there are cases, for example, where it's because I give the person a ride. The person have transportation, but uh, I dropped that person. I got accustomed to talking and we talk and before you know it, um, we just talk and we're alone and, you know, one thing after another. So she might say to you, to you now, look, um, 
part of our rebuilding this marriage means that you cannot have a female in that vehicle unless you have another person in, right? What I'm saying to you is that at this point in time, the whole the key thing is rebuilding trust. And if you really want that your partner, if you're going to win her trust, you're going to have to be accountable to her for a period of time, right? And, and when that trust is rebuilt, and, and by the way, I think I told you last time, there's a laws of infidelity. <clears throat> the same amount of time it takes for me to develop a relationship with a, a, a person having an affair. Suppose it took two years or three years for this relationship to start and then to end. It takes just as that amount of time to rebuild trust. Wow. So if you think you're just like, well, honey, uh, you know, I did it. Uh, I'm sorry. I confess I did it. And uh, from tomorrow now, uh, it doesn't happen that way. And Sorry. Uh, Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in. Pastor, can you suggest a book that I can give to my husband if he has cheated on me? Uh, the book I just mentioned before, Torn Asunder. Um, I forgot the author, but I just gave the author just a moment ago. Could you, person, uh, maybe give us a telephone number? Yeah, we can uh, send. I'll get the author. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So that, but that'd be the a name very of the good book. book is Torn Asunder. Torn Asunder, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another book that uh, is recommended by Dr. Wheat. Um, I went online to get it, see if I can download it by um, by um, Kindle, and I, it is not in Kindle as yet, but I will also give you that name to pass on to the person as well. I think that is very, very helpful. Um, so I will get that to the person. The book Torn Asunder is available on Amazon. It is called Recovering from an Extramarital Affair, uh, Dr. Townsend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or by Dave by Dave Carter, and the author is Dr. John Townsend. And okay. it's a very reasonable price. Not that I'm a salesman, but only $10 on a, for a new, a new copy of the book on Amazon. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, I will, um, there's a, the one, or others, one, or, one or two others I have that I, I can't remember the name off the bat. Okay. Uh, because I haven't read them for a while, but this one is, is very, very, very common, very, very helpful. That's one I would recommend. You're listening to That's Truth, live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you to the individual who sent that question in. You can send your question via WhatsApp or text. You can send it to the phone number 1-268-782-1454. Or you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. No one is on the phone line, so the number the line is available one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us, and you can comment your question, and it'll be passed along to Pastor Murphy. Yeah, c- continuing with the, this subject we're talking about, uh, the matter of building trust. The other thing that I think that needs to be important is understand that you need now to what it call um, refill the love bank. And what I mean by that is that uh, in a marriage where one person is taking more than giving, you're always going to have a problem. So you have to learn that, you have to see if you're taking more out, out, of, the, out of the bank, the love bank as it were, and you're not giving enough. So you have to examine how you can refill the love bank now. Uh, so I think that is uh, crucially important, how you're going to re, uh, recreate and sustain this, this relation by once again trying to refill the, 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 uh, the love bank. And this has to do with uh, somewhat changing your behavior. Uh, 
Um, a few things I would suggest here. Um, of course, if you want to have counseling with the uh, for people to work out some of the issues that caused the problem in the first case. Uh, the other thing is uh, when you try to rebuild the relationship. Uh, I mentioned earlier ago of having a time to download and talk. 30 minute, agreed a 30 minute time to, 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 to talk about um, and while you're talking if the relationship really needs, is, is, you know, the fire has gone out of it, it's dying, there's no emotion, in that 30 minute period, um, when you're talking, hold hands if you want to uh, and try to say something of why you appreciate the person, why you love the person, something about them, because they want affirmation or something. So while you're having on the conversation, uh, if they become some kind of, of touching, uh, holding hands or talking, looking at each other, rather looking away, he's snoring, and oh yeah, what did you say? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, uh, while you're in that time as well, try to plan to do some things uh, together. The other thing I would suggest is that if you're rebuilding the marriage and you're trying to put some steam back into it, during the day, call your partner at work. And you don't have to say much. I just want to tell you I love you. I just want to um, can't wait for you this evening. Now, that was never happening before, okay? Or if it was happening before it started, then it waned. But now you're rebuilding. So you've got to purposely do things. It's going to seem at first very artificial. Well, you're calling me now every day. But it will come to a point where if he's sincere, it becomes very obvious he's really making the effort. And uh, if he keeps that up, uh, it now becomes almost automatic. Um, the other thing is maybe plan an evening meal together. Uh, maybe get the children early or get uh, another family to keep the children and have a candlelight dinner. Or be, be romantic because you're trying to put some flame back into the, the dying uh, candle, basically. Uh, so you're going to have to do some very, very practical. Um, the other thing is um, try to keep up now with uh, things that are important to her because you've neglected these things for a while. For example, her birthday. Don't wait for her to tell you it's my birthday. Think ahead now, uh, because you're trying to rebuild it. These are things that you neglected, I neglected, that have become so important to her that I neglected over the years now. So I now have to deliberately, and by the way, I'm told that these cell phones can remind you a certain date, so maybe plug it in. <laughs> but now you're trying to remember her birthday, her anniversary, um, maybe when she graduated, whatever is special to her that she feels important that you totally neglect because it's not important to you. you you're not concerned about your birthday, not concerned, but that's special to her. Well, when you begin to now focus on the things that are meaningful to her, uh, it will affect, because I said before, you don't work on feelings, you work on behavior. You work on changing behavior. Once behavior change, feelings will change. We try to work on feelings, and it doesn't work. But the attitude that uh, changes once you see this person is really making an effort. Um, try to start and end each day with a hug and a kiss. Uh, some kind of physical contact. Remember, you're trying to rekindle the flame. You're custom bolting out the house. All right, bye bye. And you left her there. She's waiting for the kiss, kiss gone. She's waiting for the hug. So now, deliberately, before you leave, no matter what happened, if you're going to leave the car, you just remember to come back and say, you know what, you know, whatever. And then when you come home, same thing, because touching is the key to a woman. Sight is the key for a man. So if I'm trying to regain my wife, it has to, has to have a touching aspect. There has to be intimacy. 
and not just words either. There has to be some kind of touching. So I have to some way um, understand the role of either hugging her, embracing her, teasing her, you know, you're having uh, lunch and you're playing with a foot, with your foot, whatever it is. You got to do something because your wives are not going to come back without touching with a woman. So you got to now a woman now is trying to regain her husband. It is sight. So she now has to dress attractive. You don't want to come home and she got flour in her hair and she got on a t-shirt that looked as though she was cutting bananas. You know, uh, now she really trying to regain his affection. She has to, when he comes in, he wants to be home. You know, running, uh, she's working all day, pushing the washing machine, and she smells like a, a Muscovy duck. No, no, she now puts on some perfume. She freshens up herself. Uh, you know, she now has to understand he needs to see something, right? T- touch is not just going to be a thing. He has to, so she has to, I don't want to say this, but if she's not a, if she has uh, put on twenty pounds in the last uh, last year, she might decide to go on a diet to try to trim down a little bit. All of this is important. Now, the point I'm making here is that um, changes have to be made, and when people see that those changes are happening, the feelings are going to come back. Um, and then um, I mentioned just a moment ago, you know, attend a couples retreat if you can, uh, read some books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, those are some of the basic things you can do, but if you're going to breathe uh, new life into the, which is the thing that we're going to look at next, um, that is a follow-through from from um, what you can do actually there, trying to, to think uh, the, the marriage. But I think that those simple few ideas uh, are crucial, and I just, I just believe that once you do those small things, um, the important thing for me uh, to say to couples is that to bring about change of affection and change of feelings in your marriage, there has to be a change of behavior and change of your attitude. Once that begins to happen, I can guarantee you that emotions that were dead for months and for weeks and even for years, they are going to slowly start to vibrate and eventually they're going to start to tingle and before you know it, they're full-fledged again. But that's how you go about dealing with it. You don't go about by just uh, trying to create uh, feelings. You can't create feelings by working on feelings directly. Uh, You have to um, change your behavior uh, with your partner. Pastor, where does confession and forgiveness, that balance, I mean, like, does a partner, should a partner, unfaithful partner, when they get convicted, should they just go and tell everything all at once? Should they wait for the appropriate time to confess? How do you proceed forward? I I would, uh, let me just say this, I I don't feel that it helps by pretending that nothing has happened. Um, um, it, it, It doesn't help by you being a martyr, that this thing is happening, it doesn't matter, because in truth and fact, betrayal and uh, infidelity is painful. Uh, for a woman, it is devastating to her self-esteem when her husband pursues another partner. Uh, she is totally, totally rocked because she begins to think, what is more attractive about the person than, so she knows her self-image plummets. Right, uh, so I think it's important to understand that whatever happens, there has to be confession, there has to be admission, there has to be confrontation. 
just leaving it stay without confronting the person with the infidelity. Okay, I know he was an infidelity. Come back now, and uh, we don't. That has to be dealt with. You have to confront uh, infidelity. You, there has to be some consequence. Yes, Pastor, we have a caller from Piccadilly. Go ahead with your question, please. Thank you for uh, calling. Good evening, brother. Good evening, sir. Um, j- uh, just a question. Sure. Um, what? What if it is too late? Um, uh, for for you to you know start in over that process. What 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 if it, if the man feels that you know he's he's tired of it? What if the woman feels like if she's tired of it, she's just tired, she can't go through that. He are, can't gonna go through that anymore. Are you talking about Christians? Uh yeah yeah yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, certainly a Christian only has. Um, um, two reasons for divorce. So, first of all, if there's not not a, if there are people who are together, they're tired of each other. Um, look, I, bro- brother, I might sound like I belong to a different planet, okay? But I really believe that two honest, sincere believers, true, authentic believers, I do believe there's hope for any marriage. I don't care how bad it is gone. The resources we have as Christians, no other group has. We got God the Father, we got the Holy Spirit, we got Jesus Christ who lives within us, we got the Word of God, we got the church. Uh, I mean, we've got, we've got, these are resources that are supernatural resources. And if we can't bring something from the very brink and bring it back, I don't know how we offer the world any kind of hope. So I think the challenge would be to get the couple to realize to make, and again, I don't want to say this because, um, look, I have dealt with a marriage uh, that has given me hope that any marriage can work after this one. I'm, I'm dead serious about this. If this marriage is revived, it is now very successful, and I don't think it could have, any marriage could ever reach a lower state than this one. And it's because the couple was willing to give it one more chance. That's all I was requesting. One more chance. Let's just, and then the problem with counseling, if I may say this, sir, is that counseling is not just about words. We listen, and every counseling session should be followed by some practical thing to be done, whether you feel like or not. Whether it's holding hands this week. But I don't feel like holding hands. What is like? Well, I I stopped cooking, so I stopped doing the breakfast. Now let's do the breakfast this week. Something practical must happen because your feelings only change when behavior change and attitude change. And that is only demonstrated when you see something actually happening. So it has to work in conjunction with some practical assignments every time you you deal with this. A lot of counseling, they're going to talk, they talk, they talk, they talk, they talk, they talk, and that's it. This is the problem, but there's nothing practical that follows up with that. And by the way, first time you do it, it seems as though it's mechanical. You keep doing it. You encourage the person to keep doing it. And you know, after a while, what begins to happen, the person begins to really, you know, this person really trying. You know, it's like what our Lord said, if your enemy hungry, feed him. If he's right. thirsty. And then he said, why do you, why he said that? You build coals of fire on his head. Right. It's like, suppose I hate you or you hate me right. for whatever reason. And I, I know you hate me, but I, I, try to, I try to break down your hatred. So what happened? I pass every morning. I say, good morning, sir. And uh, I see you maybe in the rain or something. I pass in my car and I offer you a ride. You may not even get into the vehicle. Uh, I learned that you're sick or something. And I, and it, listen, 
it might take me a while for you to realize that I'm really sincere. But when you reach the point where you realize this is not fake anymore, this guy's really serious. You know what happened? Your feelings work down. And, and it's, it's mystic, but that's the biblical way. That's what the Lord told Cain. Look, you do right, and you will feel right. See, our problem is we work on the feeling part of it. Why? But I don't feel like doing it. You can't bring a marriage back out when you go on the basis of feelings. You have to start working with change of behavior, change of attitude. And then God has made us in such a way that our feelings then kick in. Um, that that also has to do with um, you know the, the individuals wanting to spite each other. What do you do? Just wanting to spite each other, being spiteful towards each other. No, I think that people have been hurt so deeply that in truth and fact, and they tried so frequently, and they've been to so many different people that it it doesn't seem to work. I think that people have reached that point. But what I'm saying to any person, whether whilst well, you're a Christian, we have a God that is able to take the dead and make the dead live. We've got a God that can infuse life into something that is dead. You're telling me that God can infuse life back into a marriage? I find it hard to believe that we serve a God who can't help us at that most dire state. The thing is, if we would just have faith to believe in God and trust in God and be willing to work at it, I am the greatest optimist when it comes to those kind of things, sir. And I really believe that once you tell me there are two Christians... I believe that there's hope for that marriage to be rebuilt, provided the person is saying, listen, let's listen to God, let's trust God, let's work on this thing, and let's really make the effort. Uh, so I, that's my view. And as I told you, I've seen, <laughs> I wish I could share this more and more without creating a problem, because, you know, people might, who, who, who actually been through the process know that I'm referring to that situation, and uh, that's why I wouldn't share it. But I wish okay. I could do that. But I'm telling you, sir, I sincerely with all my heart believe that two Christians, provided they're willing to trust God and depend on what God says and take His Word as sincere and work on this whole matter, not just talking, but start doing small things. I, I think it's oh man. So what? 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 Okay. So what does um, for richer, for poorer, to sickness and in health? Um, I mean, what? What does that stand for for individuals? For, for well, what for is it saying to a person? That my marriage is permanent. That I intend to stay with this person forever. It's a per that's what marriage was intended to be, and that is why you you know you have to go back to your vows. You got to go back. Look, somebody asked. We had a question this week uh, in our church, and we were talking about what why people do what they do. And somebody said that um, people do what they do because of their desires. Mm -hmm. And I I, I I said, well, I don't live by my desires, and I was sincere about that. If I listened to my desires, I would always go wrong. What I do as a Christian. I, I am committed to, what does God say? If my desires put me in a direction where God said that this is wrong, I'm not going to my desires. Right. So I think we've got to get back to the book to find out what God says. And even though my desires send me in a different direction, you live a life. I want to honor God. I want to glorify God. I want to be a testimony. I don't want to be a reproach where people are using my life as an excuse not to follow the Lord. I can't carry that burden, sir. Okay. Right? Just can't yeah. carry that burden. But I think God's people got to get back to believing that the Bible is not an ancient book. It's a book that is relevant and authentic, and God has the blueprint. We just 
try to do what God says and trust Him. God never asks us to do something He will not give us the power to do. If God said that marriage is permanent, it means it can be permanent. Uh-huh. And if we would just do what He's saying and stop listening to all the voices we're hearing, we've been so brainwashed by the psychology is now into the church and I, I think I've ex- explained on, on this tele- on this uh, station how this happened we sent off our people to the seminaries in the states and to study right. uh, men who come back in the pulpit they do all kinds of psychology in these uh, colleges they come back to our churches to bring in the psychology rather than teaching people scripture and using nutetic counseling and, and guiding I'm not saying you can't learn from psychology don't misunderstand me but I'm saying that we've become psychologized, and the pulpit has wow. become that way, and our counsel has become that. So we're not saying, telling people that this is what God says. Mm. We are now saying, well, this is what Freud said, this is what Maslow said, this uh-huh. is what Watson says. And uh, unfortunately, um, that is now becoming the norm. So pastors are becoming more counselors than preachers. <laughs> a lot okay, of preaching, yeah. a lot of counseling can be done from the pulpit indirectly. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, but brother, I am sincere when I tell you that I do not believe is a marriage is not salvageable where you got two Christians. I believe with all my heart, and I myself would invest time with anybody. Uh-huh. I don't care as long as they're willing to work through the process. I myself would invest whatever time to try to. But I know that feelings can be rekindled through change of behavior and change of attitude. You just think about it your own life and run that wrong through your mind again and again and see if that is not true in your life. If somebody that really you had despised or disliked or whatever, no matter what they've ever done you, if you came to the point where you really saw that person was really sincerely sorry and really trying to make an effort to, to, to reach out to you, man, eventually if they were sincere and honest and they're doing it, I'm going to suggest that you would begin to start feeling, you know what? Uh, no, I got to give them another chance. I just, I just got to, I just can't hold my hatred to them any longer. It's just how so, God made us. Uh, if He didn't make us this way, uh, I don't know how there'd be any hope. Think of Mandela for just a moment, okay? Twenty-five years in prison, uh-huh. and then you'll let go. You can imagine the amount of bitterness uh, people would normally have. Yeah, yeah. But look how he came out without this. Of course, he would have feelings. Don't misunderstand me. Mm-hmm. But it was not this hatred that most people would develop. So I think if a man like that can do that, and I don't think, to my knowledge, that Mandela ever came to be a Christian, mm-hmm. if an unsafe person can do that, please don't tell me that a believer doesn't have that capacity. Okay. Uh, I find that astounding. So Thanks. this is where unforgiveness is, is still um, is still there, unforgiveness? Uh, yeah, but that's where now with the biblical doctrine of forgiveness, with a part of the counseling process that had to be brought in. To let person understand what what God requires in terms of forgiveness, what is true forgiveness, how you go about forgiving, mm-hmm. that would know how to be part of the counseling process as well. Right, thank you very much. You're yeah. welcome, sir, and thanks so much for calling. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're God welcome. bless you. Yeah. Thank you for your faithful listening, and thank you for calling with that question, Pastor. We have a WhatsApp question, a very practical question. I'm glad you're the one that's going to answer it, not me. Mm-hmm. Can my wife ask me? To ask the lady that I cheated with to have a test to see if her child is mine if that lady is living with her partner? Look, I, I, my, my answer to that question is this. If I really want to win my wife um, back and one of the conditionalities, no, I'm the one who's been unfaithful, right? I created the problem. I would do anything within my power to settle this matter. If my wife felt that the child, so let's suppose I had an affair, and but it's not my child. 
In other words, I know it's not my child. But my wife is concerned with the person that it is your child. Now, how are you going to... I mean, when the child is born, it might look like you, so it's probably solved. <laughs> but let's suppose, in truth and fact, that uh, the wife really feels that that's the person you had the affair with. Well, I want my wife back. I am the one that created the problem. She didn't create the problem. Me, as a person, if I could say to the person, you know, my wife really feels that um, the child is mine. I know the child is mine, not mine. You know the child is not yours. But for the sake of my marriage, would you consider? Because the other person may not want to do it. But I personally would take the onus on myself to confront the person to request it so that for my wife's sake, because she trusted me before, did she not? Then she discovers I'm unfaithful to her. But I never, she never knew I was unfaithful during this period of time. Now she discovers it. How am I going to tell her now that I, the person I was with or whatever, is not the, is not the child? How, so she's supposed to believe because now you, you're truthful to her? It doesn't work that way, right? Trust has to be rebuilt, and the unfaithful partner has to do everything within reason that is not unscriptural to rebuild that trust. And in my judgment, if I were in that condition, that situation, that's what I would do because I want my wife back and I feel I'm the one at fault and I would do anything in my power to, to prove to her that what I'm saying to you now is true because she's doubting me, so i got to prove to her now that it is true. Who created the problem? I did. Yeah. I can solve the problem. I'll try to solve the problem. I don't think it's unreasonable, uh, and I think that I, I must bear the consequences of my action. It might be painful now for me to going back to the other person itself, but again, this hurt all of us. I hurt my wife. Uh, if she gets hurt, somebody's going to get hurt. That's, that's part of the risk I took when I got into the fear. So try to solve the problem. How hard would you push for that test if the other lady doesn't want to take Well, I test? don't know what can be done. If the lady doesn't want the, how you, there's nothing he can do about it. Because how is he going to do it? He can't, uh, it's not his child. It's dependent on her. Uh, but again, um, you see how sin tangles? Yeah. One problem creates another problem, creates another problem. But unless we try to untangle it, the problem remains there. And if we can try to uh, untangle as much as we can, I think it is just human nature to want that answer. I would want, if my wife was unfaithful to me and she was with a person, well, and I had a child, and I learned she was unfaithful to me I was having a relationship with her, uh, I can wait till the child is born to see who the child looks like. On the other hand, if the child is born and I'm not too sure, I would want her, if during that time of her pregnancy she was being unfaithful to me, I, I don't think I don't see why she should not want to, uh, because she created the problem. I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable that she would do that. Pastor, we've been talking a lot about extramarital affairs, and you've referenced at times uh, that maybe w- whether the situation was involving Christians or non-Christians, what does it mean to be a Christian? We've got just a couple minutes left in the program. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a true Christian? The, the gospel is, is very simple, very basic. The gospel is that believe, repent, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but the gospel is not just a, a kind of a, a little, um, I, I don't know what type of term we can use here. It's not just a method. 
right? There has to be conviction of sin before a person will ever turn to the gospel. Uh, and this is where I think the problem lies today. We are presenting a gospel to people who don't even feel that they're sinners, who don't feel guilty about anything they're doing. And this is where, uh, I've said this before, we need to reassert the moral law of God and uh, let people know exactly what sin is. In other words, we need to plow out the fallow ground that is there now because unless there is conviction and preaching on sin and repentance, we cannot move people to a gospel where there's no, they don't feel the need for the gospel. You know, you, you go back um, during my time when I got saved. When people went to the church, uh, they heard about hell, they heard about uh, sin, pastors where they preach on these matters. Now you're going to church and they're talking about five ways to be happy, uh, three ways to brush your teeth, you know. No serious preaching. And all is about positivity, positivity, positivity. Nothing about sin and repentance and God and God's holiness. I think that's the tragedy of our time. Will going to church consistently ensure that I'm going to heaven? Absolutely not. Absolutely it doesn't make not. me a Christian. No, no, you can go to as many churches. As a matter of fact, to sure, you can you be a member of every church in Antigua and still not be a Christian. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of That's Truth. Next week, next week we're going to pick up with this same topic and give pastors got some very practical information for moving forward. If you have experienced an affair in your relationship, how to rebuild your relationship and breathe new life back into your marriage. Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Have a great night and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, if you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.